0: Second page at the bottom. The last source is a Tosefta. <coughs> is a Tosefta Brachot. Now a Tosefta is like the Mishnah. It's like the Mishnah in terms of its authority and, and the way we look at it. We don't differentiate between a Mishnah and a Tosefta. <coughs> the Mishnah was compiled by Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi as we know, and the Tosefta was compiled by Talmidim of Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi, Rabbi Chiyah and Rabbi are credited with uh, are credited with compiling the Tosefta, But the important thing to remember it's the thought process that existed at the time of the Tanaim, right? which is like the before. As far as we're concerned, it's pretty much the beginning of things. We don't have much information uh, before Tanaim. Uh, like, written, I mean, between the Tanakh and the Tanaim, there's a kind of a lacuna, you know, we don't know exactly what they were thinking, but we know at that time, now if you look at the end, uh, this Tosefta, this is, is like a Mishnah, right? So it's it's um, Berak Dalit, Mishnah Zion, as you could see. But the end of it, the end of the Tesefta, this particular Tesefta says, Rabbeinu uh, <coughs> uh, you see it's at the end of the third line. Amalahem, <laughs> right? Somebody was learning, and he said, Mipne <laughs> Malchut malchut. How did Yehuda become the candidate for kingship? Now, when did Yehuda become a candidate for kingship? Yehuda became a candidate for kingship in the next in next week's parasha. When in next week's parasha? Well, if you look uh, above if you look at the section above, you see that Yaakov decided to bless his children. Do you remember from last year? It's the same parasha. He decided to bless his children. (coughs) So, in any event, you remember how it went. Rachel, Yaakov's wife, had four children. First, she had four children Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Leia. Yehuda. Leia. Those were. Leia. What? Leah had his first. I'm sorry, Leah. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> you're, you're listening listening. awake. Good. Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Uh, Yehuda, according to Rashi, was extra. That's why she called him Yehuda. Yehuda is uh, connected to the Hebrew word, lehodot, to be thankful. Why was she thankful? According to Rashi, because Yaakov had four wives. So she knew that he was supposed to have 12 children, 12 tribes, 12 sons, 12 tribes. Did she know that he would have four wives? Did she know? At the time, he only had two. Uh, when when, uh, when. Yehuda was born. No, I don't know. I don't know about that. Let's let's not get into that. That's a, okay. that's, that's, that, that's that's a different. But doctrine. but, that, but Leah Leia said Leah said my husband is going to have twelve sons and he has four wives. That means that each wife should contribute three, right? So when she had her fourth son, she said. It's extra. I'm getting something extra. So when Yaakov, when Yaakov came to bless his children in next week's parasha, he said, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, they're no good. Yehuda, he's terrific. If you look at the pasuk, you look at the pasuk about Yehuda, about Yehuda, Gur, Aryeh Yehuda. See, pasuk 9, Ted, (coughs) Posuk tev Gur Arya Yehuda viteruf Beni Alita kara ravatz kaAryeh kolavim miyikimeto this comparison of Yehuda to a lion, right? Lions are for some reason called kings, right? They're the kings of the animal kingdom. And so the comparison that Yaakov makes again and again to lions has to do with the fact that Yehuda had this quality of kingship in him. But if you look at the next Pasuk, right, uh, Pasuk Yud, Lo yasur Shavit mi Yehuda. A Shavit is a staff. A Shavit is a staff that you use to beat with, right, to. A, to to establish authority. If you remember when you used to go to movies, and It had a movie about uh, some court, so the king always had a staff. Not because he had trouble walking, but because the staff uh, uh, symbolized authority and power, and so the king could take his staff and just point at it, point at somebody, and the people there would, you know, kill that somebody on the, on the spot. So that is power. The stat is power. So, lo yesu shevet mi Yehuda. Means that the authority of kingship will not disappear from Yehuda. Okay, will not disappear from Yehuda. Rashi. You see Rashi in Pasuk Yud? Which means, I mean, like Rashi wants to fix it, right? He wants to fix a problem. What's the problem? The problem is Shaul HaMelech, right? That there was a king before David HaMelech who was not of the tribe of Yehuda, his name was Shaul. Right? So Rashi just fixes it. He says, what, When Yaakov said, Lo Yasu, Shavit Mi Yehuda, Shavit Mi Yehuda, he meant, he, Yaakov, meant from David Hamelech and on. Right? What about David Hamelech? Like, I, I, what about, I'm sorry, what about Shaul Hamelech? Huh? You have to learn the Ramban. The Ramban in Vayichi deals with that question at length in a most interesting manner, I would say. So, if you look at the Rashi. The language of Lo Yasur is once there's a king from Yehuda, then Lo Yasur forever. Okay. But if the king should come from the tribe of Yehuda, why did it come from the tribe of Benjamin? I mean, what was the, uh, why did I need Sha'ol HaMelech? I mean, uh, you are right that technically you might be able to dray it into the posuk. Right. But it's certainly not an obvious dray. For example, if the first king of Israel was David HaMelech, you wouldn't have any problem with that. Right. right? So that's, that remains a problem. The second clause in the pasuk is mechokeik mibein ravla." So uh again all these words, you know, words in the chumash, it's very difficult to know, for me, to know what they meant 3,000 years ago. Right, but we are influenced by the reality that we live in. So a mechokek is a legislature. Mechokek bein raglav. What bein raglav from between my legs? His legs. I don't know what that means. But mechokek seems to go along with being a king. That the king had legislative powers. The king of Israel, right, had legislative powers. He could, he could establish a rule, a regulation. He could demand income taxes for whatever it was he was doing with, with his life. So here, Mikhoke Mi Bain Raglav, Rashi says I'm sorry, let's go back. Lo Yesul Shavdin Yudami David Bailah, Elu Rashe Galu Yot She Shirodim et Haam Bashevet. He says the references the references to Rasheid Galuyot. They were these people in, the, in English, they call it Exalach, which is, is a good word, doesn't mean anything, but it shows some sort of awareness of things. So we'll say Exalach. Exalach in Hebrew, Rosh Gola, that in Bavel, after the exile, after the exile of the Jews from Eretz uh, from Israel, I had the community in Bavel somehow established itself as a Jewish community and, and uh, maintained. I mean, it's not so obvious how they did that. Because you remember when the ten tribes were exiled, when the Assyrians exiled the ten tribes from uh, Eretz Yisrael, they seemed to have disappeared. They were not able to create an independent reality for themselves. And they must have all assimilated first into the Babylonian world and then into the Persian, into the Persian world. They disappeared. But the, but the second exile, uh, somehow, it, it worked. So when, when it says, the question that Rashi says is lo Rashi says, what do you mean, lo yesur? There was an exile. Uh, there were no kings after Tzitki Yahu. That was the end of... Uh, so Rashi says, Eilu Rashi Galo What does the pasuk refer to? What is Yaakov saying? <coughs> 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 Excuse me. It's annoying. <coughs> but it annoys me more than it annoys you. Uh... So Rashi says, Rashi explains, They won't disappear. They will always be. What do you mean always be? So Rashi says, The authority was passed to, in Bavel, to members of the tribe of Yehuda, who acted as Rashi Galuyot. They were the exilarchs. Shirodimit HaAmbeshevet. They uh, they punish the people with a staff. I don't know what Rashi means. <coughs> it was these people had power that was given to them by the people in charge, like the Persians. The Persians were in charge. The example is, of course, Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was a Persian bureaucrat, and he received permission, as a Persian bureaucrat, to go to Eretz Israel when the Jews returned there. Some of the Jews, not all of the Jews, but Jews returned to Eretz Israel. And they wanted to build the wall around Yerushalayim and the Beit HaMikdash. But they needed somebody who had administrative uh, knowledge and who was respected by the Persian government. And that person was Nehemiah, who came to Eretz Yisrael and stayed there I think for 12 years while this was being done and then he went back to Persia. He, Nehemia, went back to Persia. You call him either an unsuccessful <laughs> aliyah or a successful bureaucrat. It was, he worked. He always worked for the Persians. He didn't work, Even though we think of him as going with Ezra. Ezra came on aliyah and, and stayed and he fixed the religious uh, uh, authority in in uh, in Jerusalem. was a different story. So that's the Rashi Hagolah, right? Then the pasuk says, "Mecholkek mi bein raglav." Mecholkek we understand what that is. Mi raglav is not so clear, but Rashi says, "Talmidim u mecholkekim." right? Shevet. The one with the shevet is like the person in charge. And then there are mechokeik m'bein raglav. Rashi says talmidim. They're the students. They're the people who learn Torah. Elo nisieh Eretz Yisrael. So they were also nisiim in Eretz Yisrael up until the, the centers in Eretz Yisrael disappeared. It all disappeared, right? It moved westward. It, it was the Babel closed down and Eretz Yisrael closed down Eretz Yisrael closed before Babel closed right the Talmud Yerushalmi which is, was written in Eretz Yisrael was the Talmud that uh, uh, that ended with Rabbi of the Reish uh, Kish, maybe another generation Whereas in Bovel, it went on up until Ravina and Ravashi. And then the centers, there they, they were centers in Eretz Yisholem and Beauville, but the centers moved North Africa, Spain, and eventually, uh, much later, to uh, France and Germany. Right? It was like, it went, it went where, where the Jews could go, right? They went that way. There was nothing east. They were going to go to China. So they went to, they went to Spain, North Africa, Spain, Italy, and eventually to Germany and France. <coughs> so this is the uh, And then you have this clause. If you look at the Pasuk, Ad Shiloh, mystery. Ad That's what it says in the Pasuk. Until Shiloh. Until Shilo, what is Shilo? So we don't know, but Rashi says, "Adki Shilo, Melech In other words, the Malchut of Yehuda is going to be superseded by the Malchut of Melech Hamashiach, right? The Messiah or. I don't know what messiah means in English But mashuach means somebody who's anointed Right? Who is anointed? Who is anointed? Halakha uh, A king uh, No A king whose father was not a king In other words If, uh, if David HaMelech Was anointed His father was not a king Right? His children Or Shlomo HaMelech Is not going to be anointed He gets it automatically It's only the first in the line That has to be anointed So he's called Melech HaMashiach now we don't know who Melech HaMashiach is But he's anointed That means he's not the son of He's something special That happens in the world Right, something special She HaMelech who has kingship? The here, game unkelus u'medrash agada. And Rashi, uh, uh, this whole problem of two explanations and Rashi has to be also thought about. Like why? When does Rashi do that? Well, why bring two explanations? If the first, they used to say the first one is not so good. So you have the second one. The second one is not so good. So you have the first one. Okay. I mean that's not so. Rewarding. So you'd like it to be a little more uh, tight. So Rashi says. "Madrasha Gadash, She or shy Lo. Two words. Not she Lo. But shy Lo. She ne'emar. Shai. Lamora. That, that, that the one who has authority. Will get the gift. Will be given a gift. So you see. You see from this P'sukim that Yehuda, we understand, that we can't go through it now, but maybe next week, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi were rejected, as though to say, Reuven, he should have gotten it because he was the firstborn, right? But he did a bad thing, we're not going to give it to Reuven. Shimon and Levi, they should have gotten it because they're next in line, but they also did a bad thing. They also did a bad thing. <coughs> Yehuda he's going to get it because he's in the next in line and the question is what did Yehuda do? what did Yehuda do? so we go back to that Tosefta right? the last line in the Tosefta you see? there it is that's the question it was at the time of the Tanaim that's what I meant to say in time of the Tanaim, this was a question. They couldn't understand, like what uh, it was. I understand that we got up to Yehuda because we rejected Ruba and Shimon and Levi, but apparently the Chachamim thought Yehuda was no grace at either. So, uh, what was it that he did which was so uh, uh, impressive that he received Malchut? So, the answer in the Tosefta. Mipnesha Hoda Bitamar. Hoda. Hoda is like the word Hodayah. So I said that Rashi said that the reason that Leah called him Yehuda was that she was especially thankful because uh, she had a fourth child, a fourth son. And she was thankful for that, so she called him Yehuda. Here it says in the Septuagint, Mipnesha Hoda. Tamar, in other words, this this feature became part of the nature of Yehuda. He was a person who was willing to admit to be thankful or to admit that he did something wrong, and so he admitted that he was mistaken in the story of Tamar. Story of Tamar in the parasha of Yeshev. In fact, Yehuda said, "Sadkami meni." She is right and I am wrong. And this was a remarkable thing. The remarkable thing for a person who is guaranteed power. Right? You're going to get the power. You're going to be the king. Why are you going to be the king? Because you have humility. There's humility in you. Like it's in your uh, in in the way you are. Right? You are a, a, a person who admits that he did something wrong. And that was a remarkable thing that's the position of the Tosefta but it's not the only position that we could adopt if you look at the first uh, and now we get to side one of the, of the sheet side one of the sheet is an interesting conversation that takes place between Yehuda and Yosef Yehuda and Yosef the Pasuk says this Vayikashe love Yehuda so you know that Rashi, Rashi looks at, at the pasuk as a series of clauses. And he's willing to try to explain each of these clauses. But uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, somehow... Everything in the world changes in this conversation between Yehuda and Yosef. Now Yosef, as he as Yehuda admits, is the Melech. The Melech decides. He creates the law, the rule. Yosef was given the authority to create the rules at that time. <coughs> And the fact that Ye- that Yehuda is talking to him, he's initiating a conversation is itself is itself pretty pretty uh, pretty uh, interesting. Now what comes before that for some reason he printed up in a strange way. Uh, y- you see it says um, memhe." Uh, towards the bottom of the of the psukim right Right? so there's a confrontation between Yosef and and his brothers the brothers don't know (coughs) that Yosef is Yosef they think he's an Egyptian uh, uh, an Egyptian guy who runs the show and he has this quality of malchut And what we said was that malchut means you can do whatever you want. You're not bound by by, uh, the limits of some higher authority of law, which is what the malchut of Am Yisrael, or the Torah, tried to describe malchut as the person who is in charge, but he has to accept the authority of the Torah which was different than other Malchuyot, where there was no higher authority. Uh, the problem, <clears throat> the problem with, uh, with the Jews was in our history that we were not able, generally, to live up to that standard. We were not able to live up to that And that's why uh, the corruption at the top produced corruption throughout the nation and that cor- corruption is generally called Avodazara. Right? Because we don't recognize, if you, Avodah, avodah Zarah, one of the aspects of Avodazara is that it doesn't recognize the rule of Torah. right? Whereas the Torah said, recognize the rule of Torah and you could have a king. You have a king, it would be good to have a king. But if the king denies the rule of Torah, the, Chazal say <coughs> that the, the king was directed to wear a sefer Torah on his arm when he went out to fight for, for Am Yisrael to make sure that he realizes that, he's, that he was not um, like the unique fighter or the person who was going to win the battle but that he had, was, he had to accept the authority of a Baruch so look here at this pasuk. Lo yachol Yosef le'tapek le'kol hanitzavim alav. They were all there having a little dinner together. Yosef, some Egyptians, the brothers, and then it says Lo yachol Yosef le'tapek le'kol hanitzavim. These are the people who are the assemblage. <coughs> so Rashi. R- Rashi doesn't understand why Yosef like what What exactly was it that Yosef was unable to to do or to control himself so Rashi says Rashi says <coughs> Rashi says you see it it's sort of the last third of Rashi <coughs> Lo hayay acholizbol. He could not suffer. Shei u mitshim nitzavim alav vishomim sheechav mitbaishim behoda'ol lahem. He says he loy cholitapeka. There was something he couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand that the Egyptians who were there, you know, eating with uh, with Yosef, would think that the brothers were kind of uh, being oppressed by Yosef in some way or other. So then he says, then Rashi, Rashi said, uh, I'm sorry, Posuk Bet, beit paro, and he started crying. And they, everybody heard. Everybody heard him crying. Ba'yishma'a beit paro, and it was heard certainly in the house of Paro. Rashi, Beit Oshal Paro, the house of Paro, Klobar, Avadav, His servants and the people who drape around in his house. The Einzel shown Mamash, Ela Kimo Beit Yisrael. It doesn't mean a house, a building, but it means the family of the nation of the community of. That's what Beit uh, means, right? Beit Yehuda. Uh Zero. Now we go to Pasuk Gimu. Bayova Yosef Elachav Ani Yosef. Haoda vichai veloyahlue chabla nototo ki nifalumi panav. Ki nifalumipanav. Uh. Nifalumi panabra she says, Mipnaiha Habusha. Alright, you could try to figure out what that butsa means they were embarrassed. They were they were embarrassed. <laughs> so, like you could say, what language did Yosef inform his brothers that he was uh, he was Yosef? Right. I guess it was in order. To, if the issue at that moment was establishing the honor of the brothers in the face of the Egyptians who were in the room, so certainly yosef would tell them that he's their brother yosef in hebrew wow. in the language that they all understood and he wouldn't be he wouldn't have to depend on the uh on these guys right pasuk the, the next, next pasuk is at the end of this section in the chumash so he cried and Binyamin cried Al-Savarav, al, <coughs> al Rashi says, they pull Al Sabare, plural, binyamin Sabare. And it's his neck. I mean, that's how you like kiss somebody. You fall out their neck. Uh, you know, I'm talking about polite kissing. Uh, and so Rashi says, why is it the plural? dimly yot right, you know that if you if you imagine the map of Israel and you imagine Yerushalayim as a line, a horizontal line, you know, going from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, then that's the Beit Hamikdash. At the bottom, from that line and down, is the tribe of Yehuda. And from that line up a little bit, very small area, was the tribe of Binyamin. Was the tribe of Binyamin. So the Kodesh Kadashim, so this line, Yerushalayim, went through the Beit HaMikdash. (coughs) And the Kodesh Kadashim was in the territory of. Binyamin and the, the rest of the Beit Mikdash was in the territory of Yehuda. So Rashi, what Rashi is saying is that the reason Savarav is plural in, in all of these cases because it represents the fact that there were two Batei Mikdash who were destroyed in the, uh, in Tzavarei Binyamin, in the, the throats of Binyamin, the and so they uh Pasuk Tedvav. Like in a shek li chava yevka le dibru echav ito. He uh okay. Yosef. Bakol nishma bait par olemo bawa Yosef everybody knew about this. Baitav ba e Paro be e na Aviparo is hard to imagine the power really cared about Ahe Yosef one way or the other, but it was in Paro's interest that Yosef should function. Yosef was, after all, uh, uh, the chief money maker of, uh, of the generation and he was able to use his power effectively to have the king or the Kohanim of, of Egypt, Buy all of Egyptian land. I mean, they they all became unimaginably rich because of Yosef. So Paro would not be inclined to get into a battle with Yosef about his brothers. I mean, after all, how much could the brothers cost them? So so what that like They, have? All they like, what? If all like Yosef, then they would also be assets. <coughs> They what? if they are, are at all like Yosef, then they also could be assets to the <coughs> way. Ah, yeah, okay. That's where he's taking a step further, you know, that yeah that that Para was really thinking hard about it. So it, 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 in any event <coughs> this is what happened. This is what happened uh, uh, Yosef told his brothers, everybody knew it, everybody understood it. Evidence said, and therefore, therefore, we could translate that event as Yosef's nakedness before his brothers. All of a sudden, Yosef, before this event, Yosef was by himself. He was unique. He was not. Uh, he was not part of an organization. It was, uh, this is something that was well known in the ancient world about <coughs> like uh, Achashverosh. Achashverosh, I mean, pointed out by Chazal and, uh, that, that uh, Achashverosh was not the son of a king right that uh, <coughs> and, and because he wasn't the son of, of a king he's called Achashverosh he doesn't have a father in in Megillat Esther, that Yosef uh, uh looked for a queen, right? And who did he find? Who, who did he find? He found a girl from a family that had no power and had no legions unlike his ex-wife, who he dispatched. But she apparently had support. She had people on her side. She may have been the queen of the previous king that was usurped by by Achashveirosh. So there's a certain advantage to, uh, if you're working for the king, there's a certain advantage to not uh, having power independent power independent source like being a, a politician I mean that's one of the things that democracy has more or less successfully dealt with and that you know, you could be on the losing team and you still it's still worth it to be on the team you know somehow that's uh, I mean Israel may prove that this is not the case but uh, so so uh, this story about Yosef telling his brothers what he who he really was and that he was forced to do it forced by something he can't control himself he couldn't bear it Rashi says what Rashi says but we can understand that (coughs) so this weakness this weakness in the Malchut of Yosef is described in the psukim that we just learned. And as a result of that psukim, you have pasuk Yudchet, at the top of the column. But it says, You see all these clauses? Rashi says, you don't talk like that to a king. You don't say to a king, Okay, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Which could be, understood What I'm saying is a little too hard for you to understand. That's not what he meant. He meant it almost as a prayer. As a silent prayer. And he could have said it to himself. And then Rashi says, Al yichar apcha. Write me, Khan Atal Lameh Shedibar Elab Kashon. So you see, Rashi's got it. Rashi's got it. From this, you learn that Yehuda spoke to Yosef in a harsh tone. He was really angry. You don't do that. But it's only after Yosef exposed himself, said, I'm your brother and since I'm your brother I mean, he says it later on He says, since I'm your brother I'm not going to kill you I'm not going to punish you I'm not going to do anything too terrible to you so that means he limited his power over his family and then Yehuda comes and says I want to tell you something I have harsh words to tell you and then Rashi goes on and says Ki mocha kipar oh. You see the Rashi? That, that Yehuda said to Yosef said to you, uh, right and Rashi says at the end says you are like Paro. You imagine a, a, a simple person is standing before the king And says, says to him, I recognize that you're the king that, that itself is an abrogation of the power of the king It's like you say, you think, uh, you, you're not sure if I like you I like you But you don't talk that way to a king you don't go to the president and say, oh, you know, I didn't vote for you, but I like you. You don't, you don't usually say something like that. So this is also because Yehuda felt that he had the upper hand. Zeb Shuto Rashi says, show the second interpretation. so l'ilkot alav b'tsarat. You're going to end up and afflicted by some sort of... Le- Leprosy. Right? You remember the story with with uh, the king of Egypt and Sora and that so he says, he says it's like Yehuda says. Yehuda says, Ki paro." I mean, paro wasn't the master of the world or the situation, you're not the master of the world either. So you see Yehuda, Yehuda's is taking over. He's angry because uh, Yosef wants them to bring the father and not going to let him return with uh, Benjamin. He's angry. But in order to be angry at a king, in order to be able to do that, you have to demote the king you have to make sure that the so Rashi says means two things are the, the opposite of each other just like paro so to you, just like power so you have power, just like paro has power, I won't ever do anything to upset you that's one interpretation the other interpretation is the opposite just like paro took it, had, had to take uh, uh, to suffer God's wrath Paro had to suffer God's wrath so you're also going to have to suffer God's wrath that's what that's what the Yehuda says to so then, then he goes on now he goes on with the content he says you asked your people do you have a father? do you have a brother? V'nomar el Adoni Yechlanu Avzaken Bielitz Kunim Katan. We have an old father, and we have a young, a younger brother. V'achiv mate, and we have one brother died. Vayivaterhu Levadole Imo, v'Aviv Ahavo. And he became the only son for his for his this this young one, the only child of his his mother. And his father loved him, right? Remember? Yosef, Ktonet <coughs> Pasim. Look at the Pasuk Kaf in the Rashi, where Rashi explains, Achiv mate. his brother died. Mivnei year a ha'yamotzi devashhekha mi piv. Amar imo malo shahukayam yomar heavy uhu etzli. So he says, he's telling the story. He's saying the story was that we came and we said, one of the brothers died. That was Yosef, he's the brother, you know, they, because his father, the father, Yaakov, when he saw the, the coat with the blood on it, he said, tarof taraf Yosef, that, the, that some animal must have gotten to him and destroyed him. <coughs> okay. So, in any event, I mean, we could go through this. If we go through this a uh, little bit more, there's more, one more thing I wanted to, sh- to tell you. You see, from the way the story is told, just by reading the story with Rashi, that Yehuda, Yehuda stood up to the malchut of Yosef, diminished it and established a kind of parity with Yosef and the and the kingship of Yosef, which was in itself a remarkable thing to do, but it helps to understand how Yehuda was chosen. The 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 Tosefta that we saw, the Tosefta in Brachot says that Yehuda was chosen because he had uh, uh personal qualities that were very important for a king and that personal quality was that he was connected to the truth he was able to admit that he had done to Tamar what she said he had done and certainly (coughs) if he had denied it even though she had stuff that belonged to him, you could say, well, he lost it, he, she found it. I mean, you could say whatever you say. He didn't go down that path. He went down the path that said, there's a truth, this is obviously the truth, and I'm willing to admit it. The second thing that Yehuda, the second reason that we saw that Yehuda uh, became the king in Israel was because he displayed Kingship. He was the king when he stood up against Yosef. He was not afraid to diminish the authority of Yosef in the face of what happened with all the with all the uh, the others. So you have these two ideas. Now there's a third idea in the in the pre-tsaddik that is printed on the page. This, by the way. The new thing is they they're printing very ni- all these books that used to be in my generation. You had to you had to work very hard to read them. The printing was not so good, and there were no references. You had to find all the references on your own. If you're interested today, the, there are all kinds of companies that are printing those books in very reasonable ways. So this is. The Pre-Tzaddik on brashit. All you have to do is find one guy who knows everything that Rav Sodic wrote Baal Peck. and he can write all the references and then you print it and it's terrific. For people like me, I well, don't have to look it up because it's right there. So it's, uh, so the, the two books that I saw recently are the Pre-Tzaddik but only brashit. And the first three volumes of the Likute Halachot, these are books that I like. The Likutei Halachot of Rav Noson. It also came out, the first three volumes, but it must be uh, at least ten volumes that will come out eventually. But it's very good. It's very good. You can learn it, and it's right there. It's a, remarkable. So look at what it says here. Ba'igash elav Yehudah. You see, the Rabbi Omer, The word byigash, is an active verb. He did something. So, so the Medrash says, what did he do? Well, you don't have the like he he walked two steps closer to Yosef. They didn't do anything. That's what you do when you speak to somebody. You you look for a little privacy so he says So one says he prepared himself for, for war and the other was he prepared himself for Pius, Pius is a, a peaceful resolution Amru <coughs> and Rabanon said no he prepared himself to daven. He prepared himself to Daven this is what this is a quote of the Medrash. There's another version of saying it uh, that uh, that, you, that you said, if he wants war, I'll, I'm ready for war. If he wants peace, I'm ready for peace. If he wants to be daven or if davening is the is the solution. I'll daven im He says, obviously, obviously Yehuda learned this from his father, because when when uh, when Yaakov came back to Eretz Yisrael and he was going to confront Esav, so he prepared himself, Doron, uh, uh, Bilchama. And Tfilah, all three. However, Achshab Doron at Tfilah, Nizkar But there, Doron, the presents that he brought for Esau, and Tfilah, the Tfilah that he was going to make, (coughs) Nizkar (coughs) Bakhatu. Umilchamanirmaz, Bameshen Emar, Vaya Machana Nisha, Lepleita he says pius and, and tefillah are mentioned and milchama is also mentioned in a pasuk the pasuk says the pasuk says the pasuk says I'll set it up so that if he comes he asab comes to attack one part of my party so the other ones will be able to run away so that's a statement about war about war, so even though it doesn't say war, but Ferush, it it implies war. Below utzrach lo, below utzrach lo, that the war doesn't have to be mentioned, by feirush because it's implied. Masha he says, but here it's different. Shenis the rapey use. So he says here, it's only pius, like it's like Yehuda is trying to to talk to Yosef and convince him of something. That's called, that's pius. So you could say that maybe milchama is implied, because he say it's like he, he says, um, <coughs> He says, you know, if you if you make peace with me, so then everything is great. That implies that if you don't make peace with me, so there'll be a war. There'll be a war. However, I will Kan Interesting. Interesting. We're talking about Yehuda. Right? So Yehuda's preparing himself. So the Pritzadik says, Ratzadik says, Yehuda prepared himself for piyus and he prepared himself by application for Tfilah. For, I'm sorry, for milchama. But why doesn't he say anything about tefillah? After all, Yehuda was learned this course of action from his father. And his father certainly said that he's going <coughs> to daven. And he davened. Question. The question. So then he says al uh, <laughs> Nehemiah's name of a book of the Tanakh. Hello. <laughs> no, Ezra and Nehemiah, it's really, um, it's worth it. It's worth it. Very interesting, Ezra and Nehemiah. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they're smaller than you think they are because they have like lists of names. You can skip that. <laughs> it's worth it I will daven to the God of heaven and I'll, then I'll go back and speak to the king but he doesn't say that he davened all it says is and then I, he's talking about his plan he says oh, I'm going to daven." but well, it doesn't say that he went to Davin so how come Aguda say he went to Davin so the peerish dvarav she dibel a melech mit kavain belibo litfila the words that he used when he spoke to the king that i'm going to Davin so libebo litfila la shemit barachi he he was davening at that at the same time va melecha yasvu she'elav medaber he was really davening. It's just the king of Persia thought that he was davening, that he was talking to him. He's the king. He's the one he's talking to. And 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 so he said. The Mordechai also wrote, you know, a his history of the Jewish people. The Mordechai said that that we're talking about. That the king thought he was talking about but he was really talking to God. So that according to the priest another quality that Yehuda had was that he davened. That was a, a davening on some level it's a statement about your, the, your status. That your status before God is is lesser. You're not a big shot where you talk to God. So this is the pre-tsadik. The pre goes through this idea of davening without a, a sitter. You, you know, people daven. They talk to God. I mean, that's what davening is. And so Yehuda spoke to God, and he knows that because... He he decided that speaking to God doesn't have a text, doesn't have a text, and since since Yehuda was interested in protecting himself from the anger that Yosef might have had, so he had again this quality of keeping in mind that God is in charge of the world and that kingship doesn't mean that you take over for God, but kingship just means, not just kingship means that you have a th- certain kinds of authority but you don't have ultimate authority so he saw that that Yehuda you can look at Yehuda in a variety of ways right, in the Tosefta Yehuda is the one who admitted it he admitted it to Tamar or to the people who were there he, he was connected to the truth in, uh, in the beginning of the parsha of Ayigash, the Torah teaches us that Yehuda that Yehuda uh, did not accept the malchus of Yosef, right? I mean, it, there was a series of events that took place, but he did not accept the malchus of Yosef. And the third thing that we see is that Yehuda davened, Yehuda davened, because that's what he—that's what he was doing when he was talking. What it seemed to Yosef, perhaps, that he was talking to Yosef, he was really, he was really dabbling. So those are the qualities that enabled Yosef, Yehuda, to be chosen for kingship, for kingship in Israel. For kingship in Israel. Oh, good. Have a good Shabbos.